0: hey keith here when we started live from the lounge a couple of years ago it took a little outlay of cash for the website the rss feeder and our cool logo everyone else has worked for free i work for free and does too double batch daddy matt carol john charles and all of the actors and musicians have graciously donated their time and talents to the lounge i'm happy to report that thanks to your contributions, we're getting close to having our startup costs paid off. And I'm hoping we can start to share a little something with the artists who make this podcast so unique. So if you like what you're hearing, I hope you'll join George from Hollywood, John from Celebration Florida, and Shadow from Fairlawn, Ohio, in helping to keep the lounge coming your way season after season. Just head to livefromtheloungepodcast.com And hit the donate button. Thanks. Hey there. Welcome to the lounge. I'm your host, Keith Farley, taking a break from dreaming up some kind of a personal cooling suit. I can't decide if it should be air powered or made from ice packs. To bring you a collection of stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you groove with the rhythms of the season. Our lounge this month is all about hurrying up. We're back to school and back to work, and the clock is ticking. There's lots of stuff to get done, so let's get to it. Matt and Carol Olmos are here to share with us a human resources interview like no other. John Ballinger and Ruby Farley punched the clock, quite literally, with their rendition of a Dolly Parton classic. Double Batch Daddy had been hard at work on a brand new song. And I'll speak with Miriam LaChapelle about her experiences working as a producer in the video game industry, where 100-hour work weeks are often a way of life, and what labor unions are doing to change it. And later on, we'll talk about the challenges we face returning from a laid-back vacation to the hectic pace of work, and how we might navigate that transition with a little bit of lounge energy. So... Here we are. Summer may be winding down, but it sure doesn't feel that way here in Los Angeles. Sunrise came at 6.34 this morning, and it sets at 7.03 tonight. And speaking of the sun, is it hot enough for you? We're coming out of weeks and weeks of triple-digit temps, and it's going to be a little while before sweater weather takes hold in Southern California. We've put the Labor Day holiday behind us, But I think it's worth taking a minute to reflect on the summer of 1894 when Labor Day came to be. It all starts with the Pullman Company in Chicago. George Pullman created a luxurious sleeping car that could be attached to trains that were just starting to traverse the country in the late 19th century. They were a huge hit with wealthy riders, providing all the comforts of home for those who could afford it. Early in his career... Pullman was celebrated as a great friend to workers. He built a beautiful town around his factory, and he named it after himself. Workers had brand-new houses, parks, and shopping centers, all provided by George Pullman himself. At a price, of course— None of the workers were allowed to own their homes, but the salaries were generous enough that folks were able to raise their families in a beautiful new town conveniently located near the factory where they'd be working. In 1893, a depression hit, and the Pullman Company started to lose money, so workers' wages were cut. But the prices in the Pullman-owned stores were not. Neither were the rents in Pullman-owned houses. Suddenly, the workers were spending more and earning less so that George Pullman could continue to run a profitable business. The Pullman workers organized a committee to address the disparity, and Pullman fired everyone who joined it. This led to a strike of workers at the Pullman plant in May of 1894. Many of the workers in Pullman were represented by the American Railway Union and once the ARU got word of the strike, they decided to support the effort by refusing to hitch Pullman cars to trains across the country. On June 27, 1894, 5,000 rail workers walked off the job. And by June 30th, just three days later, 125,000 workers had joined the cause and brought rail service across America to a virtual standstill. Eugene Debs led the workers, and despite his repeated attempts to quell violence, a locomotive attached to a U.S. mail car was derailed by angry workers, and this attracted the attention of the federal government. President Grover Cleveland invoked the Sherman Antitrust Act, which allowed him to send American troops out to put down the strike and get the trains moving again. Debs was forbidden by the act to communicate with the striking laborers and thus was unable to encourage them to stand strong without resorting to violence. The sight of federal troops approaching, combined with a lack of communication from their leadership, caused the strikers to panic, which led to a massive response from the 6,000 federal troops, 3,100 police, and 5,000 deputy marshals in Pullman, Illinois. Dozens of workers lost their lives, the strike was put down, and the Pullman factory reopened. The creation of a national holiday honoring laborers had been in the works for years. But the first National Labor Day in the United States took place that September, just two months after the Pullman boycott and riots. And the two events have been connected ever since. Fact is, there's always going to be a tension between our work life and our life life. In my work in the labor movement, I've been an actor's representative in the theater and in video games, I've discovered that the sweet spot is when highly qualified workers are paid fairly for their services. The operative words there are highly qualified and paid fairly. The balance gets thrown when the workers are less than qualified or when the pay doesn't match the workers' qualifications. But that's why we have human resources departments, isn't it? Here's a new piece from Matt and Carol Olmos, where we drop in just as an HR meeting is about to commence.
1: Okay, come right in, take a seat. All right, well, here we are. It's so great to meet you i've uh so obviously I received your email and it's clear you're having some issues right now with your job and your workload uh First, let me just say, I really appreciate you reaching out to us here in HR. We're here to be a resource for you. So, Stacy, whenever you're ready, just take it away.
2: My name is Stephanie.
1: Stephanie, Stephanie, Stephanie. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry about that. Uh, let's, uh, whenever you're ready...
2: My name is Stephanie. I've worked in accounts payable for 11 years. Recently, I've started to feel very tired when I'm performing work-related tasks, and that fatigue is spilling over into my personal life. Another way to describe it would be that I'm feeling symptoms of burnout.
1: Got it. And I see from my email that you've talked to your manager about this.
2: That's correct.
1: And what did he tell you?
2: He closed his mouth tightly and nodded his head as he closed his eyes. Then he opened his eyes and said that he understood that it was a difficult time. He agreed that I had a difficult job and said he was grateful for the effort I was putting in.
1: Got it. And
2: how did that make you feel? I'm not sure I understand your question.
1: Um, did you have any feelings or emotions when he...
2: Now I understand. Okay. I didn't feel anything.
1: Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, why don't you tell me what it is that's burning you out?
2: I think what is burning me out is that my workload has increased. I have been given more tasks, but not more time or support to accomplish them. So I work late or I work on the weekends in order to keep up with everything. I end up donating extra time to the company. At the same time, I don't have time to accomplish basic household tasks such as cooking or cleaning. Most nights I eat takeout food, which winds up being unhealthy and fattening, not to mention expensive. My pay has not kept pace with this extra cost, nor has it kept pace with the rising cost of living. I am too tired to talk to anybody after 5 pm. I also have less time and energy to engage in acts of service for my community. I'd like to be more involved, because I'm worried about the state of the world and the state of the country. I am exhausted by the powerful right-wing forces that are fighting to nullify my vote. I am exhausted by the continuing racial and social inequities. I am exhausted by the never-ending flood of lies and bullshit. I am exhausted and frightened by the anger and hostility all around me, and in myself. For instance, I have very dark thoughts about the people treating the freeway like it's the Indy 500, needlessly endangering my life. I'm not proud of that. I worry sometimes, when I'm out in public, a mass shooting is going to happen, I don't mean to be a drama queen about it, I'm also deeply concerned that the world is not doing enough to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, I am more and more physically uncomfortable in my own climate, today, it is 112 degrees outside, I'm angry that the government is restricting the choices that we women make about our own bodies, I'm worn down by two and a half years of Covid-19, I am realizing that the old world will never come back. And I have mixed feelings about that. All of these things are burning me out. And I'm frustrated that I don't seem to have time or energy to do anything about it.
1: Got it. Got it. So it sounds to me like you're having trouble maintaining a proper work-life balance. Am I right? Yes. Okay. Right. You see, that's important. It's important to set those boundaries and make room for that. Like, you know, go to yoga class or walk your dog or uh bathe yourself you gotta make that stuff happen got it i mean you also have to get your job done (laughs) get your work done but also have time to uh sleep and go to the bathroom yes uh listen you'll also be happy to hear that our company is instigating a new policy it's called zero meeting fridays so on these fridays There are no meetings allowed so that you can take that time to take care of you.
2: Will this be every Friday?
1: (laughs) No, no, no. No, 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 no. It'll be every 40th Friday.
2: Will it be like a three-day weekend? No. It's
1: just less meetings. No meetings. You can really just enjoy your day working but meeting free. I see. For instance, you could put a load of laundry in on the way to the bathroom or take yourself out for an hour-long lunch. So yeah, work-life balance, uh, yep, I think that's the way to go. Yeah. Anything else I can help you with?
2: I don't think so. I will do my best to attain a healthy work-life balance. Perhaps I could find a wizard or a magic fairy who could help me to make that happen.
1: There you go. Always good to seek out help. Speaking of that, don't forget, our Employee Assistance Program will provide you with six free counseling sessions every year. That comes out to one every... Every
2: 60 days. Yes, you got it. Remember, I'm in accounting.
1: Oh, yes, you made a joke. Ha ha ha. There you go, your attitude is shifting already. L- let, let, let me walk you out. Stephanie, let me just leave you with one final piece of advice. Yes? Don't let things get to you so much. Okay. Just because your job is tough... Doesn't mean you have to let it get you down.
2: I will trip out on that, thanks. I'm going to go look for that wizard now.
1: <laughs> Another joke. Good for you.
2: Ha 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 ha. He 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 he. Stephanie, <laughs> Stephanie <laughs> are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie? <laughs> Stephanie, <laughs> <laughs> are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie? Well,
1: I, okay. Have, a, have a good day, I guess. Well, she seems happy.
3: Stumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition gone yawn and stretch and try to come back Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping out on the street Traffic starts jumping to folks like me on the job from 9 to 5 Work at 9 to 5 Watch him shatter just to step on the boss man's ladder. But you got dreams he'll never take away. You're in the same boat with a lot of your friends. Wait for the day your ship will come in and the tide's gonna turn and it's all gonna roll.
0: Not ashamed to say that I've lived long enough to remember when the first video game showed up at my local arcade. It was a little stripped-down tennis game called Pong. It wasn't too long before Pac-Man showed up alongside it, and then Galaga, Centipede, Pole Position, Donkey Kong, and all the others came along and pushed my beloved pinball machines off to the sides. My best friend Jay got an Atari Twenty-six Hundred for Christmas one year. A few years later, I bought myself a ColecoVision, mostly so I could master Defender. The Sega Genesis blew my mind, and the first time I played Tomb Raider, I couldn't believe how far we'd come from Pong. I like video games, and I'm lucky that I get to make a living acting in and directing them. I show up, do my thing, and bounce with a decent paycheck for my services. But I always notice the folks on the team who leave the recording session and go not home to their families, but back to the office for another six or 10 or 12 hours of work. Miriam LaChapelle was one of those people, and she was kind enough to stop by the lounge and tell me her story. Tell me your name and spell it for me so I make sure I get it right.
4: Yes, so I'm Miriam, M-Y-R-E-A-M-E.
0: As a (laughs) K-E-Y-T-H-E. Keith, I can tell you, like, yeah. I get it. Well, I'm glad you're here. Thank we you. are actually live from the lounge, and mm. I am so grateful that you were able to come and, and, and sit here with me today yeah. to talk about something that's really close to my heart, um, which is uh, labor, particularly in the video game industry. How did you start in games, what led you to desiring to be in video games?
4: So my path into game industry was a total accident. Um, I was in school uh, studying photography, um, and that's when I moved to Montreal. And my partner at the time uh, decided that they wanted to make games. And I was like, all right, so we started doing like research and we found this uh, group of people that was called uh, Montreal Game Society, that was meeting every month at a bar in Montreal. And that's when I started to meet people in the game industry, I was like, wow, people really can work in games and make games? That's something that someone can do? Slowly but surely, my connection in the game industry was wider,
0: so it was volunteer work I, at first, yeah, volunteer work what at was your first, first what was your first paid job? In my the first industry?
4: paid job uh, was uh, in two thousand and sixteen at a small indie studio that doesn't exist anymore in Montreal. um and I came in on board uh, as a um, project manager doing scheduling and uh, that led me to uh, being a producer
0: so, when you started out, mm-hmm. what was your schedule like?
4: Forty hours a week, uh, five days a week. Um, but as a, because it was my first actual gig with like being paid. And as a queer woman, uh, I had the I felt like I had a lot to prove. And that led to me wanting to prove myself and doing overtime and then not stopping doing overtime. Right. and um,
0: so, you started as a as a full-time employee. Yes. The understanding was paid by the hour yep. forty hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you ever bump to being a salaried employee?
4: Uh, after the like three months, uh, like um proving that you can stay in the company or whatever, I started having benefits, and I was uh, salaried
0: salaried. yeah. And yeah. at that point, Things change. Yes. As a salaried employee.
4: I'm not Bay the Hours. Overtime goes
0: away. Mm-hmm. And in the video game industry, um, there's a period in the development of a game called crunch. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about just what crunch is and what it yes. means?
4: So crunch is uh, when a game worker is expected to work often unpaid overtime. Often it's like, yeah, doing like 80 to a hundred hours a week, working weekends, nights. And uh, What was your
0: schedule like during crunch?
4: It was like the first few weeks. I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to work a little bit more at night. And like everyone's leaving the studio. I'm the one last there. I have to get a trailer ready or something. And then... It's 7 p.m. and then I keep going a little bit more and then it's nine and then it's midnight and 2 a.m. And I'm like, oh, I should maybe go home. Um, but I'm still expected to go back to work at nine the next morning, right? Um, and it just creeps on you. Like, I think I didn't really realize how much hours I was putting in until I came back home after those like three game convention. And my body was just completely exhausted.
0: You're not not receiving any extra benefit for that. It's the same if you work 10 hours a week, if you work 100 hours a week, you get a salary. Yeah. And what were the health consequences for you of doing that for such an extended period of time?
4: I burned out completely. Uh, My doctor and my therapist put me out of work for two months and you never recover from that. Like, even though I've burned out in 2019, even to this day, like I can feel that I'm more tired easily. I can't focus on work for extended period of time. Um, yeah, I developed like work anxiety. Since I've burned out, I just question myself a lot more. Like, am I doing enough? And I'm putting enough work. And am 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 I gonna get fired um, if I'm not putting like what is expected from me and what is expected often? from management in those companies, just you need to go over. You always have to go over to prove yourself. Um, And it's very unhealthy. And It's not sustainable either for like, also for companies because like, (coughs) if people work overtime, they make more mistake because they don't have that focus and then there's bugs going into the game and the quality of the game diminish because people are just overworking themselves. Um, And And that
0: leads to an inability to work well. Yeah.
4: Yeah. You're
0: just expected to work more, but But quantity does not equal quality. Quality, no. So what is when did you discover that working in the game industry could facilitate a healthy work-life balance?
4: I think it was around uh, 2018 when uh, the talk about unionization started at the GDC it was like um this um group called game workers unite that started to be like hey working in the game industry is really hard on labor and on workers like everyone a vast majority of people are getting exploited and it's just normal we need to fight back and that's when i had my first encounter with like unions and i started educating myself and Learning that, yeah, in films, if you work overtime, that overtime is paid. I get a pizza dinner, and that's expected to be like, good job, you're working a night shift now.
0: Yeah, it's the pizza Half paycheck. pizza, yeah. <laughs> Here's like, your okay, pizza paycheck. That's,
4: that's not going to pay my rent, right?
0: In the film industry, mm-hmm. uh, and this was part of my involvement yeah. with this, was being able to say, hey, listen, we can't. Represent game workers as much as we'd like to, but there was a burgeoning new technology in entertainment that was born about a hundred years ago mm-hmm. um, called film, <laughs> where people were being exploited in very similar ways. Yeah. Uh, and what it takes was people to stand up,
4: come together,
0: come together,
4: yeah.
0: and ask for what they want yeah. and demand what they want mm-hmm. and we were eager to have that happen in the game industry. Yeah. Um, That as actors and performers, we have certain protections. Yeah. And we wanted to make sure that the game developers had those protections too. Mm -hmm. And you work at a unionized game studio, is that right? Yes,
4: I do. (laughs) Tell us the name Um, of that studio again. So it's Vodeo Games. We are called uh, Vodeo Workers United, and we were the first certified game unions in North America. It's just been... A wonderful adventure, uh, lots of learnings. Uh, and what have you learned?
0: Tell me what you've learned.
4: Being able to be an advocate for my coworker, for them to have better working conditions, um, just brought us all closer together. We're a small knit unit now, um, and I love them all very much. And like, it
0: sounds like the total antithesis of what you were exper- had experienced before. Yeah, where there was this competition
4: yeah
0: among like, your co-workers yeah to see who, who works could.
4: who works the hardest and like no we don't have to do that at Vodio we have four-day work week which is beautiful and as a producer like there's a lot of people out there that are just like how can you make something possible with one less day it's possible you just need to have a better structure and deliverables that are more realistic, you can do it. We launched a game at four-day work week, being totally remote um, last year, so it's possible. But one of the things for uh, diminish crunch is also something that like other studio could do, or like other uh, union could do uh, to put in their uh, contract would be to ask for overtime paid, if big companies or any companies has to pay for overtime they will think twice before asking their workers to work overtime
0: it incentivizes the producer to yeah. reduce overtime yeah as and, opposed to... and management
4: to look twice and being like oh if there's a hundred people working 20 more hours a week 1.5 times their salary budget will just go through the roof we can't have that
0: To wrap it all up in a Mm -hmm. tiny little bow, can you compare and contrast what your work-life balance was like 10 years ago with what it is today?
4: 10 years ago, I was a very passionate, young, new game dev that wanted to prove herself. Um, And by doing so, I crunched a lot, I've burned out. And from that... I realized that if I want to keep going and help people in the game industry at the same time, I need to take breaks, and I need to be better at taking care of myself if I want to take care of other people. For the last few years working at Vodeo, um, having four-day work week is just life-changing. Like It's so much better for mental health in general. We are bleeding talent in the game industry. Like. The amount of people that reach the 10-year of working in games is extremely rare. I'm a huge advocate for, yeah, work-life balance and just unions in games.
0: And if folks are interested in joining up, in working together Mm -hmm. to make a work-life balance in the game industry a reality, who can they get in touch with?
4: I would highly suggest to reach out to Code CWA, uh, Communication Workers of America, um, because they have been extremely good to advocate for tech and game workers. They are extremely present, and they're very good and proactive to, like, teach you how to do things right and give you advice and training. Like on their website, uh, there's a lot of article, podcast. Um, They do often like uh, online training, like one-on-one organizing during the weekends or uh, weekdays. They're very good people. Um, and they will shape the game industry in the next few years to just be better for everyone. Um, highly suggest to reach out to them. They're lovely awesome. folks. Yeah.
0: Anything else we missed? Anything else you want
4: to... Um, if you are a player, and like, and you play games and you see article about crunch or something, share it. Talk about it. It's important to have this awareness around, around crunch culture.
0: There's an old saying... If you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I subscribe to this adage, and I consider myself lucky to work doing what I love. But I also love to eat and sleep and lounge with friends and family. I respect the passion that video game developers have for their work, and I understand that crunch is sometimes necessary. But I've seen the burnout that crunch culture creates. And I know it's avoidable. I'm grateful to Miriam LaChapelle for sharing her story with us. If you work in the gaming industry and you'd like to learn more about creating a sustainable work-life balance, go to the Code CWA website at code-cwa.org or check out the link on our website, livefromtheloungepodcast.com.
5: I don't want your greenback dollar, I don't want your diamond ring, all I want is your love darling, won't you take me back again? I don't want your millions mister, I don't want your diamonds. Watch for their vester Oh, give me back My job again Mr., while you went your life for ease, you stole it all that we built, Mr. And now our children starve and freeze. Well, I don't want your millions, Mr. I don't want your diamond ring. While I want is the right to live, Mr. Job now I don't want your mansions, mister Don't want to ride your rocket ship All I want is food for my family And a life that's free from uh, your ego trip Well, I don't want your millions, mister Take me back again
0: When people talk to me about Live from the Lounge, they invariably say, it must be a lot of work to make a podcast like that. It is, of course, but the work is spread out across many collaborators. Matt and Carol write and cast their radio shows. Double Batch Daddy likes the discipline of creating a song a month. And I enjoy writing and talking about the world as it actually is. But there's almost always that moment, about a week out from our delivery date, where I suddenly realize how much work I have to do and how little time is left. I try to get a recording of this piece to our soundman Charles a week or so before we drop so he'll have some time to sit with it before he starts layering in the sounds of birds, (laughs) sirens, and motorboats. Or maybe just the sonic representation of infinite space and time. Ah! Thanks, buddy. The rest of the show feels a little more like work work. It takes three or four hours to record our radio shows and another three to eight to edit them and layer in the sound effects and music, and I do all of that myself. The interviews take 30 to 60 minutes to record and another couple hours to edit, and then there's the writing and recording of the opening and closing remarks and all the connective tissue that keep the lounge flowing. It's a lot of work, sure, but... I'm reminded of Steve Martin's quote to someone who once asked him how he finds the time to act, play the banjo, write movies, and collect fine art. His response? The first thing you need to remember is, I don't have a job. I'm no Steve Martin, but it has been 25 years since I had a proper day job. This affords me the time to spend on this labor of love. But there have been those weeks when the lounge is scheduled to drop and I find myself booked all day, every day. In those cases, I tack on a few hours of podcast work in the evenings. And there have been a number of Saturdays where I'm up at dawn to start writing and recording and compiling and editing. On those crunch days, I'll keep at it until well after midnight when I finally upload the lounge to the RSS feeder and schedule it to drop the following morning at 8. September is the time of year when everything starts to feel like it's happening all at once. The dog days of summer quickly transition to a rat race of new work. The return to a list of tasks that all need to get done right now. This experience of existential inertia. You know about inertia, the scientific principle that says that a body at rest tends to stay at rest and a body in motion tends to stay in motion. I think we feel that acutely as we move from a state of summer vacation to a state of back at work. And then there's the hectic busyness of that first week of school. Remember that? Where you go from sleeping late to getting up early. From hanging with good friends to dealing with people you can't stand. From days filled with whatever to having every minute accounted for. Zero period, 712 to 758. First block, 807 to 1005. Passing period, 1005 to 1022. Lunch, 1219 to 107. Afternoon block, 107 to 305. Why does school operate on such a bizarre schedule? Is 8 to 10, 1015 10, to 1215, and 115 to 315 that difficult to maintain? The experience of that first week or two being back at school always felt like a bit of a battle against lethargy and brain fog, as my body and mind caught up to the new schedule. And then, at the other end of the semester, You shift from cruising through your highly scheduled day to the madness of finals week, with the 24 7 scramble to get the readings done, the papers written, and all the tests taken. As a performer, there's a similar feeling during the transition from the rehearsal space to the theater where you start to add in the technical elements of a show. The lighting, set, sound, and projection design are set up in the audience, and for 12 hours a day, instead of running the scenes you've just barely learned, you're required to start and stop the show while levels are set, lighting cues are built, and the stage manager writes it all down on their version of the script so that they can be sure that all of the cues happen in the right places night after night. In a tech-heavy show, this process can go on for weeks. And if you're working on a brand new piece before your opening night, you have the opportunity to preview your show in front of an audience to see what's working and what isn't. During this phase, it's possible to rehearse with actors for up to five hours during the day before you do a performance that evening. And after that, the director, designers, writers, and producers will meet to discuss what needs to change the following day. New pages might get written overnight, which the actors will need to memorize, and the designers will need to tech before the actors arrive. It goes tech, rehearsal, performance, notes, repeat for 21 days. That's three full weeks of around the clock honing and shaping before opening night can happen. It's exhausting, but it's all part of the process of making a piece of theater, the best it can be. During these moments of existential inertia, when you transition from rest to motion, there are a couple of good coping mechanisms to keep in mind. First, Try not to fight it. You're busy all of a sudden and it feels weird. So what? It's okay to accept that it might take a little time for your head to adjust, but it will. Until then, remind yourself of inertia. It's a natural phenomenon after all, and know that it's not gonna last forever. It's temporary. Once you're back in motion, you'll make up for any time lost in the transition. Adding stress or fear as you're getting up to speed is like trying to accelerate with the parking brake on. You're working against yourself. The second tactic to dealing with a sudden abundance of work is to make time to take time. Build in little breaks for yourself. In the theater, we take a five minute break each hour or a 15 minute break after 90 minutes. If I have a choice, I always choose the latter. 15 minutes of rest in the middle of a hectic morning or afternoon allows you to come back to your work refreshed and clear-headed so that the time you spend working is extra productive. Lunch and or dinner breaks are also worth honoring. Get up and leave work for an hour, enjoy delicious food, get some sun, A very successful producer friend of mine told me that when she started out working in animation, she would come into work an hour early, eat lunch at her desk, and stay an hour late at night. She found she always had a pile of work waiting for her when she got to work, and always left a pile behind in the evening. One day, she decided to see what would happen if she came to work with everyone else, took a full hour for lunch, and left right at quitting time she discovered there was still a pile of work waiting for her and still a pile she left behind at the end of the day. But the work always got done on schedule, and she had reclaimed an extra 15 hours a week for herself and her family. She had discovered the concept of working smarter, not harder. But there will be times when the amount of work is simply overwhelming and the time left to accomplish it is rapidly dwindling. When the presentation is due, when the show is about to open, when the test date is looming, and these are the times when we absolutely need to put our shoulder to the wheel and push with all our might. At these moments, it's crucial to remember what you're working toward and why the extra work is important. The final push is meant to be exactly that. That's why it's not called the always push, the forever push, or the day in, day out push. When we had our first child, the concept of the final push became crystal clear to me. In preparing to be a good coach for my wife, I read that in most every birth that goes according to plan, the mother who's been dealing with contractions for hours or days, and who's been pushing like a champ for hours more, will eventually exclaim, I can't do this anymore. It's too much. And that's right when the baby will be born. That final moment of struggle is followed by a rush of joy, love, and fulfillment. That's the way birth is meant to work. When it feels like you can't go on, that's when the baby comes. Because eventually, The show opens, the podcast debuts, the finals get taken, and the projects get presented. And the sense of satisfaction you'll feel will be directly proportional to the work you've put in to get across the finish line. I still remember the feeling, walking back to my car after my final, final one fall quarter. It had been a ridiculous amount of work, much of which I'd put off until the last minute, But the feeling of knowing that the work was done and that I was about to jump into my car and drive home to enjoy a holiday was simply sublime. The Sunday mornings at the lounge drops have a similar feel to them, as did Sunday afternoons when I wrote and directed church services back in the late 90s. Christmas Day and Easter Sunday became extra special because of the crazy amount of work that preceded them and the electricity of an opening night when the show is really cooking, that's an experience that's impossible to beat. It's imperative to remember that during the Septembers of our lives, when the crops are ready for the harvest and it feels like there just isn't enough time to reap all that we've sown, that the starting and the finishing will be the trickiest times and that these times are meant to be temporary. And never forget that in the natural passage of time, there is an ample reward waiting on the other side of this period of hard work. A time of thanksgiving, a time of quiet satisfaction, a time to enjoy the fruits of our labors. But that time is not this time. So go on. Get back to work.
5: Sing you a song. I'm in a river flow like a tube plugged in. We gotta unplug now. I love the tube redeem from the scream in the stream So many pleas nobody reads or needs it in that crowd of.
0: our lounge. I hope you'll stay cool inside and out as we move from summer to fall. And I want to take a moment to thank you for your support of Live from the Lounge. Thanks to your contributions, we're actually getting close to breaking even. It's our hope that we can provide a small harvest for our contributors this year. And that depends on you. If you like what you hear, If you've gotten something out of learning to groove with the rhythms of the seasons, if you just like the music and the radio shows, I want to invite you to make a contribution to the cause. Head to livefromtheloungepodcast.com and hit the donate button. There's no contribution too small and none too large either. Thanks in advance for your generosity. Here's the Who Did What. Our Lounge is produced by Anne Kloss Farley. John Ballinger wrote The Lounge theme and arranged and performed 9 to 5 with Ruby Farley on vocals. Double Batch Daddy arranged and performed I Don't Want Your Millions, Mister, and Sing You Song. Matt and Carol Olmos wrote our radio show, and you heard Matt as the HR representative. Special credit goes out to Stephanie, who played herself. I'm grateful to Miriam LaChapelle for sharing her story with us. To find out more about the union movement in video game development, go to code-cwa.org. And I'm your host, Keith Farley. We'll be back in a month or so with another collection of stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you to learn, to love, to lounge.